I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by Dante Labs, the global leader in genomics solutions for rare diseases. With their Rare Disease Health Package, they offer comprehensive whole genome sequencing for rare disease patients. To learn more about Dante Labs and how they're revolutionizing healthcare, visit us. DanteLabs.com. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Once Upon a Gene. I'm your host, Effie Parks, and I'm so excited to be back with some new content, some new amazing interviews for you. I took a little short break, as many of you noticed. Thank you for those who checked in on me. I was just enjoying what little bits of summer I had left to enjoy, and I'm coming back with a fresher head, and I appreciate everyone's support. I also want to talk about the Rare Patient Advocacy Summit, the Week in Rare, coming up really soon. It's in San Diego, California, and it's the Global Genes Advocacy Summit, and it's being bunched together with a bunch of stuff, hence the Week in Rare, starting on the 18th with the Rare Health Equity Forum, moving into the Rare Advocacy Summit, and then moving into some membership and advisory meetings. I really hope you can join either in person or online. Finding your people is critical in the rare disease world, and it's just so fun to see everyone and talk with everyone and meet new people. So head to globalgenes.org to see the agenda and register. I'll see you there. I have another awesome rare dadvocate on the show today. He's remarkable. He's the co-founder of MyMejo.com, and he's sharing his journey, and it's one of courage and determination and just really powerful love for his family and for his commitment to providing a service for those in the rare disease world. And I really respect him. Uh, We talk about his experience in the very beginning in the NICU and having twins. And I just love it when a dad gets real. And I appreciate his vulnerability in this episode. And then also just really excited for you to learn about my Mijo and how it can help you managing your medically complex kids while you're wearing 974 hats in a day. So please enjoy the episode. Here's my conversation with Ryan Sheedy. Ryan Sheedy, welcome to the podcast. Effie, it's so great to be here. I've been a longtime listener, first time guest, and so I'm so excited to be here with you today. Yeah, I feel like I've known you for so long, and I always think it's funny when someone that is like actual friends with me is finally on the show like forever later. So uh, timing is important sometimes, and I think now is the time. Exactly. I am a firm believer in timing is everything. Although, as we both know as rare disease parents, sometimes we're not always prepared for that. And so <laughs> it's all about going with the flow and, and just uh, adapting and 
and going forward. Yeah, totally. I'm not sure I'm really ever prepared for anything. I just show up. Okay, well, Ryan, share a little bit about yourself, your journey as a rare disease dad, and maybe like kind of what was that moment that you realized that these unique challenges that we have and these enormous responsibilities of being a caregiver to a rare disease kiddo start there. Yeah, well, I always go back to the beginning when Ashley, my wife and I found out we were having twins. I'll never forget being in the ultrasound room. We were all excited. We were thinking we were having a baby. We weren't sure. And the tech did the wand, said there's the first heartbeat, paused, and said the second heartbeat. And Ashley and I looked at each other from across the room and it was kind of like, holy cow, Batman. Did she say two heartbeats? <laughs> but we weren't prepared for that. And I think that's really kind of the theme to our, our journey was you can prepare, you can think about what is going to happen and then throw all that out the window because um, we're not in full control. Yeah. So that was kind of like your soft entrance into going, oh, things don't actually turn out exactly as you plan. A hundred percent. And I remember the text saying, should we look for uh, another heartbeat? And I said, no, no, no. Two is enough for today. <laughs> uh, let's let's stop there. And, and I remember getting home with Ashley and just kind of looking at each other and saying, OK, here we go. We thought we were going to have one and now we're going to have two. Your boys are so cute. Give us a little background on little Reynolds. Yeah, so um, Reynolds is a twin. So his twin brother's name is Campbell. They're about five and a half years old now. And it has been an amazing journey from the day that Ashley gave birth. Um, we had a scheduled C-section. We always knew that baby A was a little bit bigger than baby B. But other than that, there, there weren't any other complications that we knew of with the twins. Ashley did have to uh, go on bed rest two weeks prior to um, having the C-section. So she entered the hospital at 34 weeks. We waited as long as we, we possibly could. At 36 weeks, she had a um, scheduled C-section. We were so excited. We were going to meet our boys. It has been a long time coming. And that all kind of changed the moment baby A came out. And it wasn't the joyous thing that we thought of um, as most people you know, experience when having a baby. It was immediately, take, Reynolds was immediately taken over um, and, and worked on, intubated. I got to leave Ashley's side for a, a couple seconds, um, hold baby A, which was Reynolds' hand. And then immediately... They said, Dad, are you ready for baby two? And I turned around and Campbell was, was out and he had complications. So immediately we went from the happiest day of our, of our lives to the unknown. And it was scary. And I can think about that day really quickly and immediately. And so then we went from, you know, what's happening um, to, you know, a, a few hours later, I got to go up to the NICU. And for those that haven't had a NICU experience, it's something that you aren't prepared for. They don't talk about, but it is it is a place that, again, now is near and dear to our heart. I'm so grateful for the nurses and, and doctors that took care of our kids. But that began our journey and the, the path down of a lot of uh, questions unanswered, a lot of tests, a lot of praying, hoping, you know, just a lot of research. You know, you hear these buzzwords and you don't know anything about them and you, you immediately Google them. And then the beeps. I can still hear the beeps mm. from the NICU in my sleep. Oh, yeah. I think everyone can definitely relate to those beeps. 
and just that shock and sort of disbelief in the moment. And actually not just the moment it carries forward for sure. Hey, listeners, I want to take a moment to talk about Dante Labs and their groundbreaking rare disease health package. If you or someone you know is facing the challenges of a rare disease, this is a game changer. With their advanced whole genome sequencing, Dante Labs provides a comprehensive view of your genetic makeup, helping to pinpoint the cause of a rare disease and offering potential treatment options. Dante Labs understands the time is of the essence for rare disease patients. That's why their results are available within weeks, not months. Plus, their pre- and post-specialist consultations offer invaluable support throughout your diagnostic journey. So, if you're seeking answers and support for rare disease, turn to the experts at Dante Labs. Visit us.dantelabs.com to explore the rare disease health package and take charge of your health today. You said, like, nobody prepares you for the experience um, and having any understanding of the NICU. Is there anything in particular that still sort of sits in your brain that's seared there of what you wish you knew about it at the time or what was just absolutely horrifying to you or maybe not? I think the thing that I would tell others is put your trust in those nurses and doctors. Like they are professionals. They are amazing. They do this day in, day out. Let me take a step back. It's always funny, you know, the only parenting class you'll ever get in your parenting journey is that birthing class. And then that's it. And you're left with trying to figure it out. Um, I often tell friends um, who are, are pregnant to Google what a NICU is, familiarize yourself. Most of the times you won't need it, but at least understand what that place in the hospital is. Yeah. You know, the more I'm into this world, the more twin parents I meet, actually. And I know there's definitely a couple at the top of my mind who are listening to this episode right now. It's hard for me to imagine the enormity of having this healthy baby and then this sick baby and dealing with being a brand new parent and everything that's happening. How did you and your wife sort of situate in that new experience? Yeah, that's a great question. It's interesting, too. Prior to having the boys, I didn't know this many twins existed. And now that we're in this twin twin world, I meet somebody or hear of someone who is a twin, has a twin. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a unique kind of group club to be a part of. But as I mentioned earlier, again, we had to go with the flow. There wasn't time to really think or worry. We, we, we just had to, to go. And so within the first week of, of the boys being born, Reynolds and I actually had to go 200 miles away to a different children's hospital to get some testing. And so when the, the, the doctors initially said, hey, I think there's something with Reynolds. You know, he's not eating. He's not swallowing. He's got some dysmorphic features. And they, they ran some tests, but they couldn't do all the tests that they needed to do at that hospital. So, you know, a week in as a new family, I had to leave Ashley and Campbell behind and follow an ambulance to another children's hospital that was three hours away get there in the night, still a new dad, not really understanding what's going on, how to react, and and now deal with doctors. <laughs> I was the typical guy. Prior to having you know two sons, I didn't really go to a doctor. When I got sick, I took Advil, and I didn't really understand how the, the system worked. To then being asked questions over and over again of, you know, what tests have they run? How, how did he react? Is he sleeping? You know, what color was his poop? All of those type of things um, was was very was very new to me, and so we relied on kind of our partnership and 
and our communication to push forward and, and to stay strong. I often talk about the telephone game. You know, doctors would tell me one thing and then I had to relay it back to Ashley via phone. And um, it's like the telephone game. Pepperoni pizza turns into purple elephant. Uh, I'll never forget. Reynolds had supraventricular tachycardia, which is SVT. I think I told her he had TVS. <laughs> you know, as a new dad, there's just so much information and so many things going on and, and decisions having to be made and so forth. And then a few days later, we went back to the NICU and met back up with Ashley and, and Campbell and spent a few weeks there and then went back to the children's hospital, again, 200 miles away, where we ultimately were there for 103 days. Dude. And I sat beside his crib almost every day. And I went back at night. Shout out to the Ronald McDonald House. It's one of those organizations you don't know about until you have to be there. I'll never go to McDonald's without putting change or a fiver in, in, in that place because it is an amazing organization. But I was alone. I was scared. I was a dad. There weren't many dads by themselves there. And it was an emotional time. There were, you know, 80 plus babies in this open aired NICU and you heard the beeps and you heard the cries and you heard the coding. And, and it was something that, um, you know, I still had to work through on a, on a daily basis because it was a time where I became a dad. I learned the word perspective. And if I can ever be a sounding board or to give someone advice for that, I'm always available to others. Mm, gosh. Yeah. It's five and a half years ago, but I can remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. That, that image is, is really profound. You know, as the, as the dad thing and as the new dad, especially, I know you had other kids at the time, but did you feel like maybe you were dismissed being the, being the caregiver that was in the room in those days? Or was it sort of awesome and you put on this armor and you were learning these things and and fighting these beasts? Or was it awkward? I think it was all of it. And I don't think it was anybody's fault. It was just not the norm, right? So when I was the, the guy taking twins into the hospital, I often heard, is mom coming? Do we need to phone in mom? Because they weren't used to it. You know, Ashley and I had a complete role reversal. Almost five years ago, I raised my hand to say, how hard could it be to be a stay-at-home dad? And I still eat those words daily. Um, but as a family, we, we made that choice. Ashley had a really great job and a career opportunity came up. My job at the time wasn't going so great because I was constantly taking Reynolds and Campbell to the doctors. And so that was a, 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 new, a new venture for me, one that I never thought in my entire life that I would be a stay-at-home dad. And now it's, it's my, my thing that I talk about the most. Yes. It's rewarding. It's tough. Uh, again, it gives me a lot of perspective. But to go back on that, yeah, I mean, providers, insurance companies, all of the, the places still call mom first, even though I am listed as the primary person to be contacted. And it's because this isn't the norm. Yeah. It's something I love about your story, actually, is the role reversal and just how well it works for your family and how transparent you are about the level of difficulty, right? And I can imagine that you probably don't have as many friendships, dudes who are doing the same sort of life that you are, not only in rare disease parenting, but in stay-at-home dadding, but maybe you do. Do you? No. I mean, locally, no. But 
the, the great thing about social media and, and it's, you know, sometimes a necessary evil, I get to connect with other guys um, they're doing what I do. And there are more of us out there than, than people know, um, but it's awesome. But it's also, again, lonely. Like when I go to the library for story time, I'm the only dad. <laughs> when I go to the park, I'm usually the only dad. And so I've just kind of had to, to, to take that in stride. Um, I also like to kind of poke fun of, of me being a stay-at-home dad. I don't know if you've ever seen the video of me playing Mrs. Doubtfire or Mary Poppins. Trying to give, you know, my boys, our boys, a, a unique experience. Recently, I got to go through some of the pictures and videos that we've done with Campbell and Reynolds. And now that they're five and a half and they understand it, they smile when they see daddy being silly or being funny. But I also have to be that, that hat. And I think there's something to be said about being a parent and a caregiver. They're two different things. Being a caregiver is one that administers meds, goes to tons and tons of appointments, has to do the things that they typically didn't sign up for. And so I'm a dad and a caregiver, and I play both roles. I try to do them as best as I can. Most of the times we only show the great, the funny. We don't show the tough, the hard, the sorrow, because it is, it's really tough. Thank you. I appreciate that. And there were so many quotable moments in that, <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> yeah, my, my, and we can talk about this later, but my, my co-founder and I often talk about being a caregiver isn't a full-time job. It's an everyday job. Because the moments that someone else is taking care of Reynolds, I'm still getting phone calls asking me questions. I'm still setting up appointments. I'm still getting his feeds and his meds ready. So there's really no time off when you're a caregiver. Ooh, I love that. You know, I just took a trip to where I went on my first trip, I think since Ford was born, that had almost zero to do with work. And I found myself doing all of those things still, like answering the calls from the DDA and making the appointments and moving the appointments and refilling the medications. And I was still like on and I was thousands of miles away. Yeah. And you, we, us... We are the experts in our kids, right? So the majority of Reynolds providers, other caregivers, therapists, wh whomever care for him, most of the time do not know or have heard of Costello syndrome. I have to be the one who educates them, leads them to the resources, gathers information from other families and, and folks that are going through this because as you know, in the rare disease space, there's not a lot of research that has been done to this point. There's not a lot of information. So Costello syndrome, ultra rare. One in 300,000 kids have Costello syndrome. Now that number is growing because genetic testing is being more widely available, but I have to be the expert. I have to be his voice. One, because he's nonverbal. Two, he's five and he doesn't know all those things. But I'm the one that has that information to provide to those, to those doctors. You know, one of the things that I... Realized very quickly when doctors would ask me all these questions. And again, coming from the business world, I'm like, why aren't these people like, why, why aren't they coming to me with the answers? No, they're trying to collect the clues and trying to understand so they can make the treatment plans and so forth. So I need to be the best partner in this relationship with a provider or other caregiver on Reynolds' behalf. That's such a good way to look at it. And also, I don't know if this makes sense at all, but it kind of takes the edge off of being, uh, what do I even mean by this? 
it takes the edge off of like just the heartbreak and the stress of it a little bit when you kind of go into that doer mindset a little more. Yeah. And, and, and I think providers welcome parents who are prepared, who are bringing the facts, but also willing to partner with them, not be, hey, I saw this on the internet and you got to do this. In the beginning, as I was learning to become a partner with providers, I had some providers tell me I was intimidating because I was demanding. I, my kid's life was on the line. Now we sit at the table and work together. That I think is, is what I would communicate to other newly diagnosed parents, be at the table with them. And if you find a provider that doesn't want to be at the table, go find a different provider. I've had to do that and it's okay. Yep. Amen. Amen to both of those. And really, it just puts a pin in, too, that this is so much more than the patient voice, right? And that especially in the rare disease world, the importance of the patient caregiver voice and really embracing every single person on the team because and like you said, get rid of them if they if they aren't uh, using their seat wisely at the table, but that this is such an important family system and a collaboration that every single piece matters so much. Absolutely. You know, again, Five years ago, didn't know what a rare disease was, right? We had the boys, all the complications. At 18 months, we got our diagnosis, like most rare parents, over the phone. We were left with the internet. Thankfully, we got connected with the Costello Family Network, which is amazing. Within 24 hours, we were on the phone with another mom, I think for three hours, going through all of it and, and, and learning. And then eventually sitting down with our geneticist and he said, you know, Reynolds has Costello syndrome, but he also has Reynolds syndrome. And I thought, holy cow, what a coincidence. My wife kind of like slapped my shoulder and she's like, no, you (laughs) dummy. Reynolds has Reynolds syndrome, meaning Reynolds has Reynolds version of Costello syndrome. So yes, medically, he has all these things that um, other Costello kids have, but he's also Reynolds and he's going to do things differently. And that was kind of my aha moment to say, my job now is to be Reynolds' voice that's not just a kid with Costello syndrome or a kid who has a rare disease, but a kiddo who can do anything that he puts his mind to, that we help him along the way, that we give him every opportunity to do the things that his twin brother does and his other baby brother. We've got three kids. So twins and one with with a rare disease wasn't enough. We decided, hey, let's have one more. And so we have a a little guy, Mackenzie. He's two and a half. And uh, all three of them keep us on our toes. And it's important that we give them all the opportunities in the world that we can provide to them. Love all that. I do have a question about the SIBS situation and how you and your wife kind of manage that. Just the experience of it, right? Let's see Campbell's experience to Mackenzie's experience. Would you would you say that it's the same in that they're the siblings of one with a rare disease? Or is it a little different with the twin one? And then that makes it different with the third one. Like that seems like it could get complicated or is it just or is it not? It's everything, Effie. <laughs> it's um, there's no playbook to it. Ashley and I are doing the best that we can. We're trying to give all three of them a unique experience, but also remind them that the greatest thing that they have is the brotherhood. What's that Avid Brother song? The greatest thing that we share is the love between our names or something like that. Like they all have a bond that no one else will have. And we're trying to just navigate through all of that. I had to pull myself back sometimes. I feel like I'm the, I'm Julia Roberts in wonder because I'm so in it. 
it's very easy to kind of lose track of everything else because we've spent so much time trying to keep rentals alive and thriving. And then you throw in the twin dynamic on paper. I wanted them to do everything at the same time. I wanted them to wear clothes together. I wanted to do all these different things, but I had to step back and Ashley's been an amazing partner in this, trying to kind of bring this to my attention is they're unique. They will do things differently, but they're brothers. I mean, I don't want them to ever think that we gave more attention to the other. And that's really hard to do, but it's our job as parents to do that. Campbell knows what Reynolds is going through. I mean, he's he's concerned. I feel like our the siblings of rare disease kiddos are the most empathetic kids out there. And they go out and teach their friends. Rare disease day, the boys go to two different schools. Campbell was teaching his kids about, or not his kids, but teaching his classmates about Costello syndrome and rare diseases. And they all colored zebras together. He's five and a half. Yep. These siblings are magnificent. It's hard to swallow, but it's also amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, I'm nowhere as beautiful as Julia Roberts, and I didn't mean it like that, but um, I think many rare parents can, can relate to that movie. Oh, I just thought it was funny that you brought up Julia Roberts, Mary Poppins, and Mrs. Doubtfire. Like, if you don't get any more stay-at-home dad than those three things, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So exactly. funny. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Ryan, well, there's another thing I want to talk to you about. Obviously, you're the f- co-founder uh, with your friend Brett of something called My Mijo, which I love and adore. And I know every single parent who has encountered the medical world has been like, why can't I keep anything together? Why is this so hard? Why is everything so disjointed and janky? Why doesn't this exist? And it does. It exists now, thanks to you, dads. And I'd love to know a little bit about it and exactly maybe the inspiration behind it, particularly why you joined forces with your friend Brett and what motivated you to create the platform? Yeah, um, it was part of those 100 days in the NICU, um, trying to keep everything organized, having to remember information and then trying to have to share it. I sketched this little idea out um, on a piece of paper. I often check in with Reynolds' primary nurse because she remembers me having this idea. And it really stems back from, again, most of us, and I say us as rare disease parents and medically complex caregivers, don't have healthcare backgrounds, yet we're the ones that are tasked with remembering all this information, connecting the dots. And we have less time than than most people because we're constantly doing things. And so, you know, I've never been claimed to be organized, but I had to be because there were so many moving parts and balls in the air for for Reynolds. And so I created a a one-pager. I think I called it like, this is me or hi, it's me. And it was a one-pager with all of Reynolds' key information on it. And I would pass it out to new providers and to his therapists. And it was something I made simply in PowerPoint, but I heard over and over again that this was best in class caregiving, that if all parents of these kiddos had just a simple one pager, it would make their jobs a lot easier. And so Ashley and I kind of thought about it and Kind of like how I said five years ago, how hard could it be to be a stay-at-home dad slash caregiver? We said, how hard could this be to be a tech company in healthcare? And so we we jumped in 
Um, as you mentioned, it's called Mijo. It stands for Me Journal or Medical Journey. My friends in California and Texas call it Miho, which means better, or Miho, M-I-H-O, means son. And Reynolds is the inspiration behind the platform. I'm also inspired daily by the people I get to meet because of, of Reynolds and because of, of Mijo. And it's just been an amazing journey over the last couple of years building it. Without a healthcare background and without a technical background, I knew I needed a partner, a co-founder. And at first I thought, man, I need somebody just like me who can go tell the story, who has a passion for this, who has experience, who is also impacted by rare disease. And I struggled to find that person. And at this point, I'm talking to everybody about this Mijo idea that I had. And one day I was talking to a friend and he said, hey, Ryan, sounds great. I'm um, not sure how I can help, but I know just the guy. His name is Brett Kondkak. I said, okay, I'd love to meet Brett. And so Brett and I met over the phone a couple of times and Brett lives in Kansas City um, with his wife, Julie, and, and three kids. He spent most of his career at Cerner Corporation, which is one of the leading EHR platforms. And so that's electronic medical records. And he retired as an executive and, and he worked on some of the biggest hospital systems across the country and, and across the world. And he loved the idea of creating something that was for the caregiver, that was useful and simple. Because he came from a world of comprehensive and complex. The EHR is necessary. It holds all the information. I use our EHR a lot for doctor's appointments and things like that. But the piece that's missing is that care information of, hey, my kid doesn't like to swallow pills, mix it with applesauce. Here's how to change a G-tube. Here's therapy and all these things. And so on paper, Reynolds is complex, medically complex, extremely medically complex. At the age of three, his medical record was 7,000 pages, and I have it to prove. And Brett and I just came together, and we worked, and we built a platform, and it has been amazing. Brett is the yin to my yang. He is technical. He is organized. He has years of, of knowledge and expertise and, and medical data and security and privacy and things like that. What Brett also brings to the table is he's also impacted by rare disease. His two young sons um, were impacted by rare disease. So he also brings that, that lens and, and that experience to the table. And it's been amazing, Effie. I, I am so grateful for people like you and your podcast and the people that I've got to meet. We launched in June of 2022. We have about 1,400 users across the country using the platform. I get to connect with them daily on how they're using it. They reach out to me, thanking me, thanking us. And to be honest, I'm thanking them for, for trusting us and our platform to help them in their everyday caregiving activities. Through all that, we've got to meet so many amazing patient advocacy groups. You know, a year ago, didn't even know what a PAG meant. And now we're talking to them weekly on this tool that we created for them. 
And it's again, I'm like a broken record. It's been amazing. It's been inspiring. It's been exciting. I love it. And because of those conversations, we have met some really thought provoking, innovative, forward thinking patient advocacy groups that are not only looking at the research, but at the daily caregiving activities that their, their communities are going through. And so we got connected through one of our Zooms with the CEO of International Rett Syndrome Foundation, Melissa Kennedy, and she loved what we were doing. And like a lot of these patient advocacy groups, they've all wanted the app that we created. They've all wanted to build it and we did it. And so we worked with them and we worked with their community to build a platform called My Red Ally, powered by Mijo, that is a RET-specific caregiver platform. We launched a few weeks ago. We had over 100 families sign up in the first week, and these families felt heard. They needed a resource to tell the story of their child, to track seizures, to store documents so they could easily share them with folks. And we're, we're excited, and it's been amazing working with, with with IRSF and their team. And we look forward to working with many other patient advocacy groups, industry partners in the, the year to come. That's so cool, Ryan. That's my two, <laughs> that's my two minute elevator pitch and I'm sticking to it. Well, I'm so happy for the Rett syndrome community. Of course, all of us are. We're just so excited to see the progress and the therapies that are out now for them. And I think that your app coming to them tailored to their families at the time that it did was just so poetic, especially since they have an abundance of stuff that they're going to need to keep track of now moving forward. What was that thing we were talking about earlier? Timing. Right? <laughs> Timing. Timing is everything. Exactly. Exactly. And I would also like to point out that you quoted Taylor Swift at the beginning of this epilogue. So there's four there now. What did I say about Taylor? You literally quoted Taylor Swift and you said, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me or something. You literally said that. Oh, okay. You didn't even notice. See, you're just you're just so in the in crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Ryan, that's very cool. But I want to break it down to just like the most basic thing, which I think so so many families actually can really relate with, like how simple it is to use, but also the things in there that sound so simple that make a huge difference, right? Like you can put things in there. I know you've mentioned it before in your terms, but like in my terms, like for Ford's is, hey, Ford really likes a fist bump to know that, you know, it'll make him smile. It makes him comfortable. So like you can put, hey, my child really likes you to address them as little critter when you walk in the room and they're less afraid of you, even though they maybe know a blood draws crumbing. Just like those little spots, you know, that help you to kind of connect with a kid when they're coming into an appointment with anxiety or they're not feeling well or whatever it is to just make those moments a little a little softer. Right. That means a lot to be able to just pass on the link to the person you magically got to come watch your kids that night instead of writing everything down for them and having them follow it like they can have the link to the medicines that they have to give them when they're watching your kid for you. Those things are huge and they take so much stress off just your moment to moment tasks that you already have. So there's there's so many uses, I think, for families like ours to really relieve some burdens that are just so annoying, right, that maybe aren't that hard, but are so annoying. And that's what I love, too, about about your platform. Thank you. You hit all of them, Effie. We, we call them moments of care, right? So 90% of 
our kiddos care happens outside of the four walls of a hospital. And so we rely on others to care for our kids. And so, as I mentioned earlier, we hold all that knowledge in our head that Reynolds loves to give high fives. I, I love that fist, fist bumps for, for Ford. That could be like a new thing, fist bumps for Ford. <laughs> the fundraising idea, ding, ding. <laughs> right, or, or how they take their medicine. But also, we have a section called Getting to Know Me. And that isn't found in, in a medical chart, but it's so important for those who are caring for our kids to understand. I don't like to be touched. I communicate via sign language. My favorite show is Blippy. I love the color purple. I love to wear bow ties. All of those things are so important and they humanize the situation as well. When you talked about simplicity, that's one thing that Brett and I work on every single day. We have to create something that is super simple, but also very useful. We think about all these times where we're asked information. We're asked to recite a procedure date or a dosage amount or a school phone number or the nurse of our neurologist. All of that information is scattered across all the di these different places. Mijo allows you to put all that in a, in a format that is, is super friendly. It's easy on the eye. It maximizes the page and really allows the caregiver to put the information that they feel is important to care for their child so that other people have it. And we do that in, in a couple of different ways. You can either download the PDF version where the information that you put comes into PDFs and we have two versions. One is the journal, which is everything that you fill out. And that's great for new providers. I love it when I send it to Medicaid because Effie, we know when we fill out these forms and they say, tell us what medications Reynolds is on. And they give you two lines and he's on 15. I say, see attached. You also can download the playbook version, which is great for babysitters or, or grandmas and folks that are just caring for, for your child. We'll be coming out soon with a customizable um, journal playbook where you can pick the different sections. So if you only need to send a medication list, you can do that. But the other part was, how do we share it securely to others in a moment of need? So grandma's coming over to watch Reynolds or Ford or whomever. I can send her that information via text or email in one click. And there's a timer on it. So if you only want to give the babysitter access for 12 hours, you can say give access for 12 hours. If you want to give grandma access to it always, you can hit always. For most dads out there, they aren't the ones going to all the appointments. So they don't have all the information. Now mom can arm them or wife can arm them with that information so that they're not sending 10 text messages during the appointment of what pharmacy do we go to? What medications does he take? Um, and so forth. Yes, yes. And how empowering, right? To just have the answers and to not feel like a flailing parent that you are. <laughs> And it's nothing against dads or anybody. There's just so much information. I mean, for, for us, Reynolds has dozens and dozens of doctors, Medicaid, case managers, equipment companies, pharmacies. To have all those phone numbers just lost to my phone is a nightmare. Now I have it all in one place. And it allows parents to get more time back in their day. So instead of having to write out what medications their kids are taking, 
they click in their Mijo and it's right there. So we are all about saving parents and caregivers time so they can spend more time having more joy with their kids. And I love hearing from our users that in the moment of need, they're in an ambulance and they're being asked tons of questions they can hand up or their phone. They're going on a cruise. They print out Mijo, they put it in their kid's backpack behind their wheelchair. Something happens, they go to it. Kid goes to camp. Mom puts Mijo PDF in the bag. Now she feels peace of mind because if something were to happen, the camp counselor has everything right there. And for me personally, it eliminates grandma coming with a notebook saying, let's sit down and write down everything I need to know about Reynolds. Oh my God, this is, yeah, my my mother-in-law, Mariana, who you know, always, forever. She was like with a notebook or I was and we were writing it down together. And there's so many pieces and, and it's it's quite scary as a parent because what if I forget something? And that's critical. Or, oh, I wish I would have said this. Or, hey, here's that. Now you have one place, a source of truth, something that you can rely on every day. We had one parent that said, I use me, Joe, weekly. But actually, I use it every day because it's part of our emergency plan. My goal is for all of these kiddos to have a Mijo so that their parents don't have to write it, but also give these kids a voice of who they are. I love that. And really, it is pretty. You know, it's like you said, it's easy on the eye. It's not intimidating. Like, I don't feel how I feel when someone hands me another questionnaire, right? Or to tell me about Ford or to rate him on all these scales. Like that stuff is so, so taxing in so many ways. And I don't feel like that is how you will feel when you fill this out. There is that point of where you do have to sit down and do homework and like get it filled out. You can obviously do it in bite sizes, but for some reason, it's not as hideous as other types of chores that you have to do in explaining your kid. Well, thank you. I mean, we spent a lot of time designing this, maximizing, you know, the the space on a page. I'll I'll never forget. I got connected to your buddy, Daniel DeFabio. Shout out, Daniel. Can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks. But he talked about, I want to create a one pager for these kids. And I called him up and said, Daniel, I created it. Now you have a place. Now families have a place to put all this information on, on there. And again, it also, there's a connection. So the next time you send it to a provider, to a therapy clinic, and they give Ford that unsolicited fist bump, and he feels that connection, all of that time that you spend to type that out will be worth it. Mm, Oh my gosh. I love that, Ryan. And again, so small, but with the biggest impact ever, right? I love that. Yes. And those moments that matter so much in the office. I mean, think about it, all the appointments that we go to where they spend the first five or 10 minutes asking you what medications your child is on or when they had a procedure. If you know about the appointment ahead of time, you can set it ahead of time. And then when they give Ford that fist bump or high five, you know they read it. And now you can spend more of that appointment talking about the future, putting the plan together versus what happened two days ago. Well, Ryan, thanks for making it. Brett, thanks for helping him make it. We really appreciate it. And I just hope to see it be put in action so much more across the board and to even hear our health care professionals talking about it. 
because it's helping them. It's helping us. And it really is a gift to our family. So thanks for making it. Well, thank you for for giving us uh, an opportunity and a platform to to tell people about it. One of the things that I do want to mention is that it's 100% free. Ashley and I, Brett and Julie are committed to giving this platform for free to those that need it. We will be making, you know, um, enhancements. We'll be launching Mijo Plus, which will be a subscription um, platform in a couple of months. We'll be doing custom uh, branded patient advocacy group platforms. But Mijo as it is today will always be free. And you can find it at mymejo.com or myretally.mymejo.com. Cool. Well, I actually just want to ask one more question since I have a since I have a dad on the line. Back to sort of all the hats that you're wearing, being a caregiver, being a dad, being a, a business owner, an entrepreneur. I wonder, like, how do you prioritize your needs and how do you kind of maintain your own sense of individual identity among all of your jobs? That's a great question. I'm doing better. You have to be intentional about it. Um, you, you have to also realize, like, I was an avid golfer. I played golf all the time. And now I cherish those times where I get to play golf, you know, once every other month or so. But giving you me time is so important. Like minus the put your the oxygen mask on first. No, be intentional. Like having a cup of coffee by yourself in the parking lot of a therapy clinic isn't me time. Carve out an hour or however much time you need to reset because you need to be fresh. And when you aren't fresh, you're short. I'm, I've been there. I get frustrated. Be intentional with your me time. Cool. Well, thanks for being one of my favorite advocates. I appreciate you, Ryan. And I'm so glad you were my guest today. And I super can't wait to see you at the Rare Patient Advocacy Summit for Global Genes in San Diego on September 18th. Can't wait. Boom. Yeah. Effie, this has been awesome. I've been listening, cherishing this podcast for a very long time. So it's been an honor to, to be a part of, uh, of this. And I hope it resonates with, with some folks. And to those in the rare community, I'm always available to listen, to help, guide, whatever you need. And so I'd like to leave the podcast with um, giving you a high five from me and Reynolds for all that you do, Effie. So thank you. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Thanks, Ryan. A special thank you to Dante Labs for sponsoring this episode of Once Upon a Gene. To learn more about Dante Labs and how they're revolutionizing healthcare, please visit us.dantelabs.com. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. <laughs>